This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. The Think Tank. Well, we are just a few days past uh, and a, a second and hopefully final impeachment vote for Donald Trump. Notably, at the end of the impeachment, Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader of the Senate, made an interesting statement. I'll play you a small excerpt from that right now. President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office as an ordinary citizen. Unless the statute of limitations is run, still liable for everything he did while he's in office. Didn't get away with anything yet. Yet. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. Well, that tees up the topic of the show. And, and I, would, I would call it the following. Uh, what are the enduring civil and or criminal liabilities on the part of President Trump? Those se- several key people who worked for him, Rudy Giuliani notably amongst them, as well as the actual participants in the insurrection at the Capitol. Uh, interesting questions. I had two uniquely qualified guests. Paul Charton is a former U.S. attorney for Arizona. I, I will repeat when he's been on in the past an explanation. That, that means he was the federal government's principal attorney in charge of federal matters in the state of uh, Arizona. He served in that capacity under President George W. Bush. And Terry Goddard is former attorney general of Arizona in the years of 2003 to 2011. And by my arithmetic, their uh, terms were coincident for approximately four years between 2003 and 2006 when they're simultaneously held those respective uh, office. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, doctor. I love interviewing formers. When I interview current office holders, <laughs> they have to be hiker, hyper circumspect for reasons that make a lot of sense. You get a lot of comments, well, uh, that's an interesting question, but that's a matter of potential litigation in this office and I can't comment on that. The formers have highly relevant knowledge and are freer to state their educated opinions. I. I think I can stipulate that they will they will caveat these by saying something like uh, a statement like that. It depends on details of facts. But at the same time, we're dealing with a lot of matters where the broad outlines of the uh, factual basis of some of these things are pretty well known. We're going to start specifically with the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. As Anybody who hasn't been under a rock for the last month knows there were crowds that entered the U.S. Capitol. Five people are dead. A sixth, a Capitol Police officer committed suicide in the immediate aftermath in something that appears to be related. There are questions. Did President Trump, any of his aides, and of course, the actual participants have a range of potential legal liabilities, whether civil or criminal. Now, uh, we're going to start with criminal. Uh, Trump says, of course, the rioters were acting on their own. His defense is, at one point, he he did say, be nonviolent. One could question the sincerity of this, given the range of his statements. 
like we can never take back our country without weakness, be strong, et cetera. Uh, New York Times reported that White House counsel Pat Cipollone had warned Trump that he could be legally exposed because he's urged his backers to walk to the Capitol and mayhem unfolded. And his statements about uh, being nonviolent, I believe, were after that. Uh, on the other hand, many of those who invaded the U.S. Capitol stated explicitly, I'm only following the orders of the President of the United States. It would seem that both of these things can't be true simultaneously. So I'm going to start with you, Paul Charlton. What are the ranges of possible charges for these really three groups of actors, Trump, others around him the, whose names you would recognize, and the people who actually entered the Capitol building? So let's start with President Trump, Mike. And as you think about what charges might be available as it relates to President Trump, the even larger question that looms over that one specifically is, is it appropriate for a new administration to look back at and initiate an investigation of a former administration, President Biden, who when asked about that question in a general way, should we be investigating President Trump on any criminal matter? said it might not be good for democracy to be looking back at our predecessors in that way. And that's true. We should be careful, right? Because it has a third world feel when new presidents are looking back and accusing old presidents of criminal acts. But that piece that you played at the very beginning, Mike, that really invitation from Senator McConnell, the highest ranking Republican in the Senate, was an open door now for the Department of Justice and for President Biden's administration to consider at least investigating President Trump as it relates to criminal charges. And in that regard, Mike, as it relates to what involvement the president may have had in the riots at the Capitol, much, much is going to be dependent on what was in the president's mind. What did he intend to do? That most recent impeachment trial lacked something critical in that regard. And that was specific witnesses who could say, I was next to the president when he said, fill in the blank. I heard the president express the following when he saw the riots, fill in the blank. That's absent. And if I were a prosecutor, that's a void I'd want to fill. And now that Mitch McConnell has said, go ahead and take a look, I would be very surprised if the Department of Justice isn't starting to take a look in that regard. That suggests that you want to talk to uh, presidential aides, guys who were physically in the Oval Office. Now, if he was still president, there would be a claim of executive privilege. Is there any executive privilege for former presidents? There may be, but much of those conversations, when you watch the photographs that we have of the president standing, watching the screen, um, events that took place afterwards, it may be difficult for the president to assert privilege when he's talking about a crime, right? President Nixon famously had to wrestle with that issue. So it may be uh, that that's something we can do. And we know, for example, um, uh, there were con members of Congress who were desperately calling the president, right? There's some evidence, some hearsay evidence only so far that they were calling the president, begging for him to send resources or to pull back the mob that invaded Congress, those kinds of conversations would go a long way towards informing a prosecutor and perhaps someday a jury, if there were charges found, about what the president had in his mind when those riots were taking place. Jerry, your thoughts? 
Well, I think Paul makes most of the, the, the really important points. Uh, one, a democracy uh, such as ours is, has never had a subsequent administration prosecute anybody in the prior administration. And I, I think that's, a, that's an important precedent, one that has unfortunately become kind of a hallmark of, of what we consider to be failed democracies or ones that are held, led by strongmen. They, they tend to go after their predecessors and put them in jail. That's not the American way, and I don't think it ever should be. On the other hand, we've never had a chief executive in this country who has been so cavalier, so openly contemptuous of democratic process, in this case, the election results. Um, and he led to the activities in January 6th by systematically undermining a very important part and led to the, the riot on, on uh, January the 6th. I think the question, and Paul put it exactly right, is if, if uh, you pass the threshold that it's, it's all right, based on Mitch McConnell's challenge, perhaps, uh, that's, not really, that's not really jurisdictional, but I think it is politically important. Uh, if, is it all right to go after a principal in a previous administration? If, if, that is, if you pass that bridge uh, at the Justice Department, then you've got a very an additional sticky wicket, which is what was the president's intention. Uh, how do you prove that? And Paul has just teed up most of the most of the ways you do it. And, and what are the elements of inciting a riot? Uh, they they really are cause and effect elements that uh, simply urging and and some of the statutes are very specific about that. Simply saying, uh, you know, we, we we should we should fight. We should get in more engaged. We should march down Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, that's not enough. That that's in the still in the free speech area. It's not the equivalent of shouting fire in a crowded movie theater, which has been is not protected speech. Um, so I, I'm particularly intrigued in the news about one defense that was raised during the impeachment, and the defense was. Could, could that you hold the, that for just a moment? We're way over in in time. We'll we'll, we'll pick up with you in just a moment when we return okay. in the think tank. Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are back with uh, Terry Goddard and Paul Charlton discussing the aftermath of the January 6th attack on the Capitol. And I cut you off rudely and abruptly, Terry, but we were out of time. I, you've got the floor to can finish your point. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I just wanted to make the point that, that I heard in the impeachment proceedings a lot made by the defense attorneys that the president could not have incited the riot because it was already started, that there were uh, individuals already breaching into the Capitol at the time that he was speaking. And I, I thought that was an interesting point at the time. But as you look back at the point that Paul made, that, that the critical factor is intent, if, in fact, future uh, facts come to, to, to if, if facts come to, to light in the future that show that he in fact knew or had had somehow knowledge had knowledge of the proud boys plans and, and some of the other plans that were laid uh, it, 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 to attack the capital uh, 
then the question of intent becomes a whole lot clearer that the, the fact that he was speaking and knew that there was a essentially a riot in progress uh, means that his words there take on a new meaning, uh, and I think a much more sinister meaning than has generally been attributed to them. And, and his failure to take action after that event uh, becomes very cogent, because uh, if you knew that there was a, a well-planned uh, attack uh, going on and then refused to come to the aid of Vice President Pence and, and the members of Congress, um, that appears, at least to me, to be uh, a very serious uh, uh, indictment, a very serious uh, uh, fact that that leads to your intent and your knowledge of the situation. And it's not it's not now just a matter of, of free speech, uh, which has been the main defense that he was just speaking rhetorically. Uh, but it's part of a plan. If it can be shown that it's part of a plan, I think inciting a riot becomes a very valid charge. Let me ask Paul a question about how this occurs. It just kind of hit me based on what you said, is that I think what, what one inference I would draw from it is that you don't make the global decision about we're going after President Trump or not. You simply, there are a lot of actions that are clearly uh, criminal in nature by the participants. You explore these, you, you take depositions from various people and, and you uncover facts and only then, you, you, you don't target a person, you follow a, a lead of facts. Is that a fair statement of the, of the process that's liable to occur? Exactly right, Mike. And Justice Jackson, uh, one of our more famous uh, Supreme Court justices and former prosecutor of uh, Nazi war crimes at the end of the Second World War said exactly what you just said. Identify the crime and then look for the person who may have committed the crime. Do not identify the person, right? Don't pursue somebody you don't like politically and then look for the crime. So prosecutors who are acting in good faith will look to see what crimes occurred here, put people in front of the grand jury, use grand jury subpoenas. If this investigation is allowed to go forward federally, which was the question we initially discussed, and then determine whether or not they have a case to prosecute. And that may include the president, it may not, it may include others who were surrounding the president at that time as well. And also, you've got the participants who broke into the Capitol. Uh, we know some of them are going to be charged <laughs> with a variety of things investigating. Some of them may plead in return for testimony. Who talked to you? What, what, what communications did you have beforehand, et cetera? And many of them have said, I went there because I believed my president told me to go. Um, and that will the net, that has already been statements that they've made to law enforcement. We can expect to see more of that kind of evidence. Now, again, what the listeners are hearing in terms of the rioters is going to be a piece of it. Most importantly, what were the very words that the president said? For example, the call that we've heard something about with Congressman McCarthy calling the president during the riot. Those are going to be critically important. Okay, so. Uh... Uh, we, we, we've talked about the president. I think when we return, we're going to talk about some of the other actors, the people around the president, the, the people who were actually involved in the insurrection at the Capitol, and uh, talk about what their exposure to be, what kind of crimes. We obviously we had somebody who was killed there, uh, a police officer, as well as some participants. And we will, we will explore the potential liabilities there when we return in just a moment in the Think Day.
The Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are discussing the January 6th uh, insurrection at the Capitol with Paul Charton, former U.S. attorney, and Terry Goddard, former attorney general of the state of Arizona. Uh, We've talked about the president. I want to talk about some of the people that were actually involved in that. It seems to me, you know, at a minimum, there's there's uh, trespassing. Uh, uh, there is a uh, trespassing at a certain level. I don't know the federal law. I'm a little bit about Arizona that can be that can actually cross a line in in terms of being a felony. And there's something called the felony murder rule, which correct me if I get this wrong. But basically, if you're involved in the commission of a felony and so, and somebody else who's doing that with you kills somebody, you can potentially be held for murder. The classic case is the uh, group of people uh, uh, rob a bank and somebody else shoots a uh, a guard and the person dies. You can be charged with murder. You can even be charged with murder, I believe, if you're the getaway driver. And possibly even if you didn't know that the other folks were carrying a gun, even though that, that may be less likely to happen. But felony murder rule says if you commit a felony and somebody gets killed, you're liable. Is that a fair statement? It certainly is, Mike. That's a very good summary of what the felony murder laws are. And I suspect there are people right now who may be subject to that kind of prosecution who were there at the Capitol. So what what so what kind where if I is it what you've got you got the trespassing at various levels. Uh, is there a clear line at which a trespass becomes a felony trespass? So that so there typically is in the federal law when um, when you are destructing property or destroying property at a certain value, right? That that can that can increase uh-huh. the, what would be otherwise be a misdemeanor, make it a felony. If you're entering the property and your intent is to do harm to somebody, as many people vocalized, okay. uh, people were carrying zip ties, as you recall. Um, so there are more than a few opportunities here for prosecutors to bring felony charges against the people who invaded the Capitol. So that would depend on if you're carrying a weapon, uh, if you're on tape, and lots of these folks are on tape making various statements and that are, you know, people have convicted themselves kind of with, uh, with Facebook posts. Right. This, one, this might be the most highly publicized crime ever committed. Now, those are possible in your experience as a as a federal prosecutor, let me ask you how deeply into the crowd of people that you were there do you think those higher charges are likely to go in practice? Well, I can tell you that one person I think prosecutors would likely look at and would not face the same difficulties that we talked about with the president would be Rudy Giuliani, who suggested mortal combat. As Terry correctly pointed out, the First Amendment can be a very good defense here for the president. Mm-hmm. But when you're suggesting mortal combat, that's a little different than we need to fight for our rights or fight for some wrong that we think, fight against some wrong that we think occurred to us. Yeah, fight in and of itself doesn't seem to, fight is a pretty generic word unless it's coupled with something else that makes it clear that you're talking about a physical fight. That's right. And I think Terry probably has a good amount of experience with First Amendment related issues. He may know those defenses much better than I would. I wonder if we could could move off of that in uh, January 6th um, issue to some of the other potential liabilities. And I'll, I'll start with you, Terry, on this. What other exposures do you think the president and some of the others have? Well, let's let's take a specific case. 
uh, Georgia, the call to the uh, state secretary of state about uh, uh, we need, can you find me 11,000 and some odd uh, votes? Uh, is there legal exposure there? Uh, your, your question opens up uh, the, the whole area of state involvement, which obviously gets out of the Department of Justice and, and frankly gets away from the, the, the very difficult uh, point that Paul Charlton raised at the beginning, which is not wanting uh, many, many prosecutors at the federal level, not wanting to have a precedent that says that one administration goes after the previous administration. That's, that's, a, that's a valid concern and, and a big one. So now you've got Georgia, a very aggressive prosecutor, says that she's going to have a grand jury next week that is going to start uh, investigating interference with the election uh, based on the call uh, that uh, was made to the uh, the secretary of state of Georgia telling him to find uh, some new numbers, some new uh, votes. You've got Cyrus Vance, uh, the Manhattan uh, state's attorney. Uh, who has been involved in a long series of legal battles to try to get uh, Mr. Trump's finances. And uh, he has uh, a criminal uh, investigation that's been ongoing, I believe, for at least two years, maybe maybe longer than that. You've got the state uh, attorney general in New York, Trish James, who has a civil prosecution uh, for misstatement of, of valuations for tax purposes. Uh, and then uh, the one that I think may be the most uh, cogent, at least in the short term, is the Attorney General of Washington, D.C., Carl Racine, has a statute uh, on inciting a riot, which he has said he is willing to pursue an investigation to see if that was violated by the president and some of the other players like Rudy Giuliani that we've talked about here. Um, it's a pretty broad statute. But it's only a misdemeanor statute because, as you know, in Washington, D.C., uh, felonies are, are prosecuted by the federal government. Let me ask about one of those specifically, and that is the case of Georgia. And you said it depends on what the overall evidence is of his intent. Is the actions that Donald Trump took in other states like Pennsylvania and, for that matter, possibly even in Arizona, is that relevant to the Georgia case if it helps establish a pattern and thereby an inference about intent? Or, is, or are they restricted to actions that have occurred in Georgia? Well, they, they can have to start with the actions in Georgia. That's, that's what gives them their, their, uh, their initial case. But I would think pattern and practice would be an important part of, of any uh, prosecution that was brought forward. So uh, the other calls, uh, Pennsylvania is the ones that sticks in my mind the most most vividly, where he was clearly trying to change the the result uh, in encouraging it. What makes Georgia so so culpable, I think, is that he he basically told the Secretary of State to find the votes. He didn't say to recount them. He said find them, and, and said exactly how many he needed. That's exactly how many plus one. Uh, well, it was exactly the number uh, the, the the number he lost by plus one. Uh, that really sounds like an underhanded effort to completely ignore the count, ignore the democratic process, and institute a fait accompli. So if I look at this, uh, uh, Paul, in terms of overall pattern, uh, you referenced uh, that the feds and Joe Biden in particular would be reluctant to take on a formal president because it has this unseemly third world character. And 
At the same time, you have the other side of the coin, which is equal justice for all, nobody's above the law. And uh, I'm kind of listening to all of this and the impression I'm getting is the way to do both is to keep the feds out of this and vari let various local officials do their jobs as they see fit. Is that, does that seem like what we might end up at? So I think that's where we might have started this conversation were it not for Senator Mitch McConnell's invitation to consider a criminal prosecution. And that Senator could not have been more specific. He mentioned criminal liability. Um, and if you watched him, he wasn't just talking about it. He was wagging his finger at the television screen as if he were wagging his finger at the president as well. So there are other federal prosecutions that are lurking in the wings as well. The Southern District of New York, as you'll recall, Mike, prosecuted the president's former attorney, Michael Cohen, as it related to unlawful campaign contributions, which Michael Cohen agreed, pled guilty to, having made in regards to a former porn star uh, that is alleged to have had an affair with the president. There are public allegations, pleadings, that allege that the president may have been involved in those unlawful payoffs. There is the Mueller investigation, which is literally a playbook on how it is the president could be prosecuted for obstruction of justice as it relates to the Russia investigation. Mueller was careful not to say you should prosecute the president, but in every single sense, he laid out every element of the offense and every fact that would support an obstruction of justice charge. And so if you're in the Department of Justice today, with that invitation from Senator Mitch McConnell, you might give the green light to the Southern District of New York, and you might give the green light to your own prosecutors to look at the Mueller mm -hmm. investigation for a possible obstruction of justice charge. In terms of public opinion, uh, I think that Trump and his people successfully won the uh, public relations war by convincing a lot of people that the Mueller report exonerated Donald Trump. So they did. Uh, and look, uh, that may be a reason that the president and his attorney general may want to stay away from that aspect uh, of the investigation. But the public opinion that would matter the most if, and that's a big underscore, if the president were to be charged with obstruction of justice, the public opinion that would be most at stake there are those 12 men and women who would sit on a jury to determine whether or not the president committed such a crime. Okay, we'll return with Terry Goddard and with Paul Charlton in just a moment in the think tank, talking about the uh, president, his cronies, uh, and uh, the insurrectionists at the Capitol and what all of their legal liabilities might be when we return in just a moment in the think tank. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are here with Terry Goddard, former Attorney General, Paul Charton, former U.S. Attorney for the state of Arizona, talking about the legal, criminal, or civil liability of President Trump and possibly those around him. Um, one of the things I wanted to direct this to you, Terry, as a former elected official, uh, it strikes me 
that Joe Biden might be uh, disinclined uh, to do anything uh, with respect to prosecution of former President Trump simply because it would be a distraction from his legislative agenda. It would be divisive and it would be seen as being inconsistent with his uh, professed attempts to be as nonpartisan as possible. That seems to me like that might be a very big inhibition. It might, might it incline him to tell his prosecutors simply lay off Donald Trump? I, I really think it would. I mean, I mean, there, you've mentioned the two keys. Uh, one is, I think, I think Joe Biden's very sincere about wanting to bring the country together. And, and as many have pointed out, uh, to continue the hostilities that were brought about by, by the impeach, the second impeachment and the, uh, and the actions of the former president uh, is not going to accomplish that end, I'm afraid, uh, given how divided the country is. And the second is I know he's very sincerely interested in getting the economy back on track and, and attacking the COVID virus. And to do that, he's going to have to have some bipartisan cooperation in Congress. And once again, uh, the, the kind of uh, Prosecutions that we're talking about by the U.S. Justice Department are not going to be conducive to to either of those objectives. So my guess is that uh, that Biden is going to focus on on his goals and not on any kind of, of uh, sanctions against the, the former president. That, that leaves, uh, I think, the state officials as, as the prime players here. They're not they're not bound and determined and not not influenced really by the president's uh, inclination one way or the other. Uh, they've got much of the evidence that we've already talked about in this call. And although they don't have the, the range of, of prosecution options, they don't have the Mueller report to act on, uh, there are certainly local charges, especially in the state of New York, that could carry very significant penalties that I, I think the former president ought to be very concerned about. State of New York, meaning primarily financial issues which preceded his presidency? I mean, yes, the, the, the Cyrus Vance uh, investigation, which has been patient. Somebody made the comment recently that, uh, you know, Vance has been all the way up to the Supreme Court on the issue of, of Donald Trump's taxes. He's back at the lower uh, levels now. Uh, he's spent years putting this case together. Um, I think we'd all be very surprised if he didn't have something very significant to uh, to charge uh, the former president with from his, his prior activities, and specifically the the the, uh, uh, the 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 tax issues and the uh, uh, misstatements on on his uh, various statements about the value of properties. Didn't uh, there, uh, there's... didn't uh, uh, Donald Trump primarily prevail in terms of not turning over his taxes when he was in office? And doesn't that end <clears throat> even that he's no longer in office? No, actually, he lost uh, on those cases all the way to the Supreme Court. They refused to take jurisdiction. Uh, but the circuit court uh, was came down in favor of Cyrus Vance's prosecution. And now it's back at the district court. And, well, I think it's back at the circuit court, frankly. So he doesn't, uh, but he, but he doesn't have the tax documents yet. He's just one. Most that? of us think he actually does. He's just trying to, to, to have a, a record. Uh, the New York Times has most of the tax documents. So if the... Uh, Manhattan uh, attorney doesn't have them. I'd be very surprised, but he needs he needs to have them officially, and that's what he's going after. They were, I, I think, if I recall on that, they, they they think that the Times got them from that German bank. 
Mm-hmm. The Deutsche Bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, and Trish James, uh, a relentless uh, prosecutor in her own right, who's the Attorney General and of New York. Where? In New York. She's New the York Attorney State. General of New York. She is not pursuing criminal charges, but she has uh, also got some some pretty sticky financial uh, issues that are uh, revolve around civil fraud. And I think uh, I think that this is not going to be a pleasant time, I'm quite sure, in terms of litigation with the, the former president. Paul, your thoughts on this? Well, I think Terry's exactly right. If uh, you consider the amount of time it takes to prosecute a complex white collar offense, it can be two years plus. And so if for two years, federal prosecutors are making headlines every single day about President Trump and President Trump, um, who has a very good command of how to communicate with the public is giving his defense every single day. That is an extraordinary distraction. So it would be understandable if uh, President Biden were to say, let's let the Manhattan District Attorney, let's let the New York State Attorney General, let's let the District Attorney in Georgia take care of these issues. That would be an understandable way of saying those individuals can seek what justice uh, should be sought, and we can go on with our um, administrative goals or the goals for this administration. Is it true that he's pretty much lost his shield against being called in to, uh, on the be- basis of a deposition? Can he be called in on any of these cases to, to give a deposition? Well, remember, uh, President Clinton was deposed uh, during the uh, Whitewater investigation. While well, it didn't seem to hold up as much of a precedent, but Donald Trump mm-hmm. uh, successfully, maybe not won, but deferred that. He did not testify in a deposition while president. He did, and many have criticized uh, Mr. Mueller for his failure to pursue an interview with the president. But to answer your question directly, Mike, those immunities, such as they were, are gone. He is now a private citizen. And again, to go back to the beginning of your show, that is what Senator Mitch McConnell was trying to make clear. He is now a private citizen and is exposed to the kind of justice that all of us are exposed to, civil and criminal. Terry seemed to think that the that the argument of this uh, the appearance would would keep the federal government out of any prosecution of Donald Trump. Did you agree with that? Well, or, I think because you raised the issue with McConnell, which would certainly argue on the other side. Right. No, I, look, I think it's a legitimate concern, and um, it may be a way to address the need for some quantity of justice here uh, by letting the local officials go forward and the need to pursue your own administrative goals without using your own Department of Justice, I should say our United States Department of Justice to pursue what many would, per- what many would perceive to be a political prosecution. And, and that's certainly the claim he would make if any federal, well, he's probably gonna make it anyway, but it's, it's, it's more credible if it is Joe, quote, Joe Biden's Justice Department that does it. That's correct. And that is the concern we started talking about at the beginning. There is an unseemly piece to that. There is a concern, and the president himself recognizes that. Uh, Mitch McConnell may have opened the door to another possibility. And I do think that that's the one sort of smoking gun that that, that changes the dynamics on the federal side. Um, And that would be truly an independent council. I mean, if you could pass through the through through the the hailstorm and have somebody of truly impeccable reputation who would undertake a no holds barred uh, investigation uh, to either uh, prosecute or exonerate the former president and make it clear that either are on the table. 
that's that is still a possibility. An interesting additional possibility thrown out uh, at the last second. Uh, I want to thank you, Paul Charlton, uh, Terry Goddard. Uh, I've learned something today, and uh, my big takeaway is uh, greatest probability look for action at the local level, not the federal level. We'll see you next week in the Think Tank. <laughs>